Welcome to Vineyard Church Dungannon, a place where lives are being changed. The following message was given at one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information, visit vineyarddungannon.co.uk. I am excited this morning. I'll confess, I'm not usually excited on a Sunday morning, so just putting that out there. I think this morning's going to be significant. It might not be spectacular, but it will be significant in our hearts and in our church. Okay, so no hype. It's just what I'm feeling, and that's what I want to tell you. So Holy Spirit, come. Come in your goodness. Come in your gentleness, but come in your power this morning. The power that breaks, the power that heals, the power that invites, comforts, encourages, equips us for life, day-to-day stuff that we on our own struggle with. Right from the outset, Holy Spirit, we keep our hearts and our minds open to you, what you're doing. In Tyrone, Dungannon, throughout the island, you come right now, you break in, you bring sweet, sweet renewal to our souls, our minds, and our bodies. So let it come. Yeah. Father God, I pray that this would be a water to wine morning. For the party, the kingdom has gone out in our hearts. It feels like water. You bring your wine. You bring your joy. Pray for a party to erupt. For the church to rejoice. Who you are, not even what you bring. Jesus, you are the wine. Jesus, you are the wine. And the wine is alive today. Come. Pause that just for a moment. When you sit, I'll talk to you. See what happens. We're in the book of Mark, and we're in chapter 2, and there's chapter 16. There's 16 chapters in the book. We're predicting we'll be through it by 2026. Davy's talk was just a couple of weeks ago. I was... Listened to it a couple of times. He talked about this overarching theme called wonder, amazement, whatever you want to put on it, awe. But he asked a brilliant question, and he said this, can you hear what Mark is saying today? That's why it's important. And that's what we're trying to do with this series is, what's Mark saying today? And he said, Jesus is God. It's a big statement. Sometimes we get that wrong. I was thinking about this. Sometimes we think, Father, 
is God and Jesus is the son and he is the good guy and God is the big boss guy and Jesus is the one below him and he comes and does the healing stuff and then he reports all back to the big guy, God, the father. But no, Jesus is entirely, eternally God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God. They are God, eternally and totally. So that's a big statement. Jesus is God, therefore, Putin is not. It's come up on the anniversary of invasion. Not China, not the oil companies or the energy companies. Not big industries or tech. Not money, not war, not fear, not pain, not even death itself. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He was born of the Virgin Mary. And God walked the earth. God walked on this earth. And he brought a new world order. And Mark is trying to get our attention by saying, He has come. He is here. The kingdom of God has come upon you. We can reach it. We can taste it. It's within reach. The God that Michelle told us would sit with outsiders and bring them into a brand new community and family called what we now call, it wasn't called then, but we now know it as the church. They had no clue what they were being brought into. Thousands of years later, you're sitting in black chairs in an old warehouse of wellers, for those of us who are over 45, and you're impacted by this kingdom and brought into church, family, community. Outsiders, now insiders. A God that Matt talked about last week, where there, the God who brings healing, compassion, and mercy, and frees people in his love. Today, I'm going to talk about wine. I'm going to talk how we contain it. I want to talk, maybe, if I can get there, how we transport it, how we administer it. Let's read the ancient scriptures together. If you have a Bible, we we'll turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. If it interests you, this is the first Gospel written. It's old, but just to be cheesy, it is gold. I'll tell you why it's gold. Because this is the first one written. And everything that he says then influences every other writer of the New Testament. That's why it's gold. So Michelle took us partly through this a good bit. Matt got us there and started in chapter 2. I want to take you to verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can guests of the bridegroom fast while it is with them, while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and on that day they will fast. 
No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, a new piece will, be, will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst in the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Thank you, Mark, for these words. You probably have a wee paragraph in the top of your book that Mark never wrote. <laughs> it's just a heading. Have you got one on your Bible there? No? You're just looking at the screens. I encourage you to read Scripture. There's a wee passage. Are we, what sort of segments the Bible? The Bible was never meant to be. These are letters, biographies written about Jesus of Nazareth. They were never segmented. And sometimes we lose the flow of what Jesus is trying to say when we stop at a paragraph and not connect it to the first or the part before that and the part after that. And in your part, you might have a little title that goes, it says, please somebody be reading their Bible out there. I'll close my eyes, turn off the lights, put your phones on, do whatever you need to do at this stage. Jesus' question about fasting, and right away, our minds, and then we're just focused on this is a conversation about fasting. But is it? Maybe. We're going to find out that it's a lot more than that. It's a lot more than talking about fasting. I'll just quickly talk about the Pharisees, just to get that out of the way, because they get a bad rap. And you get boys like me up here every week saying, talking about Pharisees and Pharisaical this and Phariseeism and pharmacies. It was just a joke to see if you were listening. But some are, some are not. Or else it was just a bad joke. So there is uh, the reason I put that in, because I thought this morning I'd do a wee bit of typing and I'd d- d- dictate, you know, where you do your voice. And it writes for you. I thought, this is brilliant. So this is what it reads. The pharmacies are trying to figure out how they live out of Vegas, Angela, Rama. That's what it actually says in my notes today. I was just going to read it out later and see if anybody spotted it. So the pharmacies do get a bad rap, but they stood close, closer to Jesus and his beliefs than any other sect, um, sect at that time, any other party of Judaism. I want you to hear that because this is really important about where this conversation goes and how Jesus engages with these people right throughout the scriptures and the book of Mark. You really got to hold this up high, don't you? So these guys, there was, there was just these sporadic exchanges all the time between Jesus. There's very sparse conversations between Jesus. There were some other guys out there, religious sects in, the Jud- in Judaism, uh, such as you might have heard them, Sadducees, and maybe when you were away you heard that they were Sadducee because they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's cheesy, but that's what people do tell kids out there, and big people. Then you had the Herodians and the Celts, and the Celts sound like they are. The revolution, that type of thing, that's overthrow Rome. But Jesus didn't really engage with these people. He engaged more of his conversations were around the Pharisees, and it was always mostly on the issue of tradition. Pause. These guys, all they're trying to do, they get a bad rap, but what the Pharisees try to do is, these are smart guys, they know the book, they're brilliant on Deuteronomy and Leviticus, these are books in the Bible. So they know the first five books off by heart, but they're brilliant, particularly at Deuteronomy and Leviticus. These books are called the Torah. So they're brilliant guys, they're smart guys. They, In fact, they're, they're regarded as authorized successors of the Torah. These are the guys that took the Torah on and ran with it. And what they did was they tried to figure out, does this sound familiar? 
they, this is why I don't like giving them a bad rap anymore because I feel their pain. What they did is they took the word. They didn't try and make up their own word. It wasn't about their words. They took the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, particularly Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And what they did was they tried to make sense of these books and they tried to, because time had passed on, so they're the successors. Time has moved on all the time, like, you know, families and generations. So all the time these guys came along and they said, how do we make these applicable to daily life? Just like we, I do, Michelle does, and all the people that speak and teach and open up the scriptures, and you do too. So it doesn't just preachers and teachers. But just like us, the Pharisees, what they were trying to do is open the book, because that was their book, their Bible, and make it applicable to everyday, ordinary life. And they had this brilliant idea, because they were big into Deuteronomy and Leviticus, they thought this, they came up with this conclusion, if we can go around preaching and teaching and evangelizing and getting people back into covenant again, then their lives will be okay. So they're not bad. Their, their motive, I think, well, that's how I read it through historians and different scholars, is that their motive, their motivation is quite good, isn't it? Does it sound familiar? If we go and preach the gospel, teach people how to live this book and to apply it to their everyday, ordinary lives, then their lives will be restored. So they believed in restoration and resurrection. Familiar? So you can see that there's a very close knit. This is why the, the tension. This is why the... the clashed with Jesus of Nazareth because he's doing the same thing. Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? Please tell me you remember the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you've heard it said, that's the Pharisees, their interpretation, but I tell you, do you see the clash right away? These guys are saying, I'm telling you, he is the Word, right? Capital W. He who was in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. Before God was God. He who created all things is the Word. Okay, I'll move on. But I think it's really important that you hear that in this conversation. So the question is, like they're saying, now, John's disciples, the Pharisees, were, were fasting. And we don't know much about John's disciples. I don't think we... I haven't found a lot about them, but it's just, it's just thrown in here. So obviously John's got disciples. John the Baptist. Baptist is not a surname. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees, obviously they're followers too, are fasting, but yours are not? Some people. It's not the Pharisees anymore having the conversation. They're not asking the question. It's some people are asking the question. Ordinary people. Well, this is brilliant. Because the Pharisees are no longer asked the question, which I assumed in my head that something has taken shape. Their gospel has taken shape. They're starting to connect with people. They're starting to get the word out there. Their culture is shaping people's thinking. In that, no longer the Pharisees are asking the question. People that are their disciples who are around them and about them know that this is the way they live according to the law. And so they are asking the question, the question, again, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And if you're a Christ follower, I always think of this as a bit like, you know, when you become a Christian, Jesus follower, whatever language you choose to use, I like Christian, little Christ. I bet you've had people say to you, 
you should be doing such and such. Or, classic Northern Ireland, you shouldn't be doing such and such, right? And it comes up all the time. I mean, I still get it, you know. If, 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 if I, uh, sometimes I stumble and slip, and I say something, uh, one of my friends will say, here, you're not allowed to say that. You, you, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to think that way. You're not. And, and so that's what happens. Things set, culture sets in the minds and the hearts of people. And this is all what's happened here, that it's set in the minds of the Pharisees. Is this okay? Bored? Okay? Still with me? Good. Because this is not the message today, by the way. <laughs> it sort of is. So, this is what I wanted to get to. Against the somber background of fasting, and we're in the season of Lent, which we fast, and some people do all sorts of things. Sometimes people pick up something, as opposed to giving up something. Some people fast from social media. I'm taking a break for four weeks. You get that all Instagram and Twitter, etc. I'm not. I'm far too nosy for that. Carry on. I like keeping an eye on y'all. So against that somber background of fast, and Jesus answers, hush, Jesus answers with a celebrity or a celebra- celebration picture is what I want to try and say, of a wedding feast. Shock, oh, fasting, piety, tradition. And what Jesus does, he comes back from the somber background of fasting and ashes, and it's very, very, very public. You'll know when somebody's fasting in that culture, they'll let you know. They've sat... Uh, ashes on them and some people put like stuff to make their face pale. I always think of Micah going to school putting talc on his face saying he was sick. Um, This this, this, this reminds me of a lot of triggers here today as you can see a lot of triggers and so uh, what's happening is that they they let you know they paint their faces white they they walk around you know know, haven't eaten for three hours and they'd let you know all that stuff. So it's very 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 visual but against that backdrop, Jesus is saying something different. He's talking about weddings and partying. Now, that would offend you. Wouldn't it? You know, oh, we love you, Jesus. We love your words. But sometimes Jesus' words offend us. At least they offend me. Have you tried to walk a Sermon on the Mount? It's a tough gig. It's a tough gig. You know, talk about it. Loving your enemy. That's why the way is narrow, folks. And few find it. It's a Jesus way he's talking about. It's a hard road, but a good road. So they're shocked, embarrassed, not embarrassed actually, irritated. You mean, I can sense the emotion. They are sticking to this. They are going back to renewal. They are trying to get people back in confidence. And there's Jesus saying, oh, it's all about a party. Let's talk about celebration. No, we want to talk about why you're not fasting. No, I want to talk about a party. No, we want to talk about why. Look, our guys are doing the right thing. Your guys are just come out of Matthew's house and had a party with a sinner and a guy who equates himself with Rome. What's a crack? Is what the Greek says. Well, the party used to last seven days for a new bride. If somebody's being remarried, Sorry, seven days for a new bride, three days for somebody that's been remarried. Can you imagine the cost? And a lot of weddings nowadays are three-day gigs, right? 
Two days at least. Must have cost a fortune. Friends, a guest, brilliant, no responsibility. No wedding lists. Fantastic. Huh? No going online for Sainsbury's Habitat. Dishes. Anything they got. But just your only responsibility that you had was to be joyous and festive and show up and drink good wine. And so there was an abundance of food and wine and song. Just take your memory back to another guy that wrote another biography of Jesus called John. It's a spectacle. I've never seen one, but we have a picture of one. It's just, it's outside and inside. The closest I've sort of seen this happening is in India where in, they have actually a, like a wedding season where there's so, only so many uh, priests that do weddings and they fill them in this type of time of year. It's usually around March time and springtime. So where we were in Lucknow, the last time we were there in March time, it just was wedding galore. Every street you went down, there was bands on the street. They were carrying lights and torches and music and cars. And, and it was just very, very festive. And I have actually found myself in the middle of a wedding or two. The wedding crasher from Ireland talking to people about all sorts of things. In fact, Davy and I and Cheryl Roberts actually... Oh, shit, you didn't because you did too. We understand. We ended up on a stage with TV cameras at a wedding celebration one time. And the only thing that was going through my head is how the heck am I getting off this stage and walking out here without anybody noticing? So we all sort of left one by one off the stage in this hotel room. It's a brilliant story. I'll tell you about it another time. But anyway, we don't have time for that today. So it's spectacular. It's on the streets and it's in buildings. It's just, it's festival. But even rabbis, they like, you know, the teachers, the, 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 the straight guys, the really sort of like scholarly, nerdy type people who just spent all their time in Torah, Bible, first five books, Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those guys, even when there was a celebration, when, it was, when they were guests of the bridegroom, nothing else mattered. That was the place that they needed to be. Why am I saying all this? So the idea of fasting on such an occasion is out of the question. Out of the question. So what's the big deal, Jason? Where are you going this morning? Well, if I only knew. <clears throat> the use of wedding imagery with regard to a question about fasting, it radically, what it's radically doing, and this is what I want you to get this morning. This is... Pretty serious. In fact, it is serious. It's all serious. It all has been. What it's doing, it radically alters the challenge of Jesus' authority. Mark is saying, Jesus is the Messiah. He has come. And so this is just a question, not just about fasting, but this is saying, who are you? This is saying, this is who you are, Jesus. Why should we stop? Because he's saying, I am the bride. I'm it. I'm the party. I'm the celebration. And you're the guests of this. So it's massive. In fact, Jesus has no complaint about fasting per se. 
I mean, he has practiced it, and his disciples will practice it. And John's disciples are practicing it, and John and Jesus are cousins, and they're all getting on well. There's no angst there. There's no fight there. Jesus has no problem with fasting whatsoever. And what he grants that when the bridegroom, Jesus, is taken away someday, on that day his disciples too will fast. But not right now, because I'm here and we're having a party. The difference between Jesus and John's disciples and the Pharisees, it's all about the attitude towards Jesus, their heart towards Jesus, how they perceive him, how they think about his ministry. And Jesus describes his mission and his ministry as a wedding. A wedding. Himself the bridegroom and his disciples the guests of the bridegroom. So after the wedding party imagery from the fasting question, Jesus gives two crisp, clear parables. And like all the other parables, they're common images of that day and that time. First picture is a new patch of cloth sewn on an old garment. When it's washed, the new patch will shrink. And then what happens is there's a tear in both the garments and the patch. Both are ruined. Second, the picture of new wine skins are filled with new wine. It's alive, it's fermenting, it's active, it's expanding, it's moving, something happening. It's bursting of the old and the brittle skins, they, they come apart. And what's happening again? Both things are destroyed. Both the wine skins and the wine is destroyed. Both come to ruin. And the chief impression of both parables is their inevitability. Whether it's the unshrunk patch that pulls away in the old garment, making the tear worse, or whether that's the wineskins bursting and, and everything's ruined, destroyed. In both incidents, something once serviceable, something once active, something once that's needed and in use is destroyed and of no further worth. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. And this is a dead easy one. So please, do not let me down. You cannot get this question wrong. No pressure. Okay, let me give you the question. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 4... No, I'm just joking. Spoiler. Who is the new patch? And who is the new wine? I could go into that room and get the right answer right away. Vineyard kids. Who is it? Jesus. Some of you are panicking, aren't you? Thinking, I know how he works. We're all going to say Jesus, and he's going to go, No! It's very simple, yet it's all consuming in its application to us. Here's where I want to finish up today. I want you to get this. I hope you grasp it during the worship, during the announcements, even the offering. Is that he is not an attachment. He's not an addition. He's not an appendage to the status quo. 
Let me say that again. He's not an attachment. He's not an addition. He's not an appendage to same old, let's go on, life as normal. And this is where the clash and the tension happens. Here, today, not just with the Pharisees. Because it's great to read the story. And it's great to talk about the Pharisees and tradition and all that. But where are you? Where are you this morning? Where am I this morning? Is he something that I'm adding on and it's just status quo? It's case, Sarah, Sarah, whatever it will be. It's life as normal. Just Let's just get through the week. Let's just get through life. I once had wine. Now life's a bit like water. I could do with a miracle in Cana. He cannot, he will not be integrated or contained by pre-existent structures, church, vineyard, Judaism, Torah, synagogue. He cannot, he will not be structured, contained by old ways when it comes to the kingdom of heaven and his ministry needing to go forward. Do you hear that? He goes into the synagogue, of course, but not as one everyone else goes into the synagogue. He goes in with a new teaching. He's like, they're amazed by his authority and his teaching. He honors the Torah by sending the healed paralytic man back to the temple to be cleansed, which is required by the, the law of Moses. But he's not bound by the Torah. He breaks it when it impedes his ministry. And he always will. He will shatter shatter our structures. He will shatter our ways when it impedes his ministry. He will shatter the structures and the containment of vessels anytime it impedes his ministry. But he's gentle. And he's merciful, and he's kind. And that's why I love that he talks about wine and not a hammer. We have never seen anything like this, they exclaimed. So the question posed by the image of the wedding feast and those two parables that's sewing on the new patch on an old garment or refilling an old container. The question is, for them, as it is for me and for you today, will they, will we make room for Jesus in our already full agendas and planned structures of our lives? Will we, when it comes to Lent, the journey, to crucifixion, to the garden, and the resurrection. Will we? What do you want to do? Same old, same old. Pour it in here. God, come and visit us. But do it in a way that works for me. So that I can attach you to whatever I'm already doing. Am I already busy? preoccupied, planned and organized life. God, would you come and visit our, our island? 
Bob, God, would you do it in such a way that won't involve me interrupting my Friday off? And God, when you're pouring out wine, can you not do it on a Friday night? Because I like to take a glass of wine myself on a Friday night. So the thought of coming up to the storehouse and opening up a shutter just really doesn't cut it for me on a Friday night. What have we become? You see, at the start, it's so easy to identify ourselves with the Pharisees because they're bringing good news and gospel to revolutionize people's lives, to bring them back to a place of restoration, right? We got that. But in the end, when we finish the parable, are we still like them? Are we? Are we still sowing new patches on the old clothes? Are you still pouring wine in the new containers? I'm trying to figure out why is it not working? Why is it being destroyed? So the question is, will we forsake business as usual? Join the wedding celebration. No hard thing. Your responsibility has and always will be to show up. To church? Yeah, maybe. But more than that. Show up in your rooms with Jesus. Show up in your car. Show up in other people's homes with Jesus. Let's begin to celebrate. Let's begin to understand what his ministry is all about. I think I'm done, but I don't think I'm done. I'm done talking, sort of, that talk. This is a new talk. We'll call it ministry time, will we? Just keep people off my backs. I think I'm suffering from the Lord. Just a thought, okay? Just an idea, just a feeling. So don't get all hot and heavy. Relax is what I want to say. Will we, you and I, me, us, I don't think it's any coincidence that Ashley's here today. Sort of the whole journey but the question I'm asking myself this morning, I'm asking you as a church, will you, me, we, become entirely new containers for the expanding fermentation of Jesus and his good news gospel? The time has come, the kingdom of heaven is here. The wine is alive. The wine is alive. He is the wine. He is the wine. God shows up. Everything is different. 
There's wonder. There's healing. There's inclusion. When God is doing new things, what will you do? Do we grumble? Do we accuse? Do we judge? Do we be critical? Or do we join the party? What are we going to do? What do you want to do? I've been doing this for close to 20 years. What do you want to do? Genuine question, not being rhetorical. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Join the party. Great. One person wants to join the party. That's enough for me. I'm not kidding you. Anybody else? Give me a little bit more grace here. I just want to talk about something that's happening on the earth. On the 8th of February, after a regular chapel service in Kentucky at a university, <clears throat> 20 students lingered at the, at the end of a service where there was no lights, smoke machines, big-time worship leaders, or anything else. And they began to pray and to worship for one another. The guy got up. I heard the guys talk. I'm not being arrogant. It wasn't a brilliant talk. It was good talk. But it wasn't in my mind. This talk is going to change the world. And yet it's starting to do something in the world. You know what his talk was? Become the love of God by experiencing the love of God. It's good talk. Over two and a half weeks later, over 50,000 people have gathered on the university campus. Still no smoke machines. Still no lights, praise God. Still no big names. Students and others queuing to get in to a place. And among young people, 25 and under. And day and night, they've been worshipping and praying. Without any big names, I want to keep saying that, without any big names or any superstars or any stage presence, for over two and a half weeks, people have gathered together night and day to worship Jesus. Now some of you are thinking, wow, and some of you are thinking, big deal. Little to do with their time. Status quo. Old patch. New container. I've been thinking about it. What would it teach us here in the vineyard? As we talked about this new container, as we talked about the party, would we join God in the party? And one person's in. And I'll send an email this week and maybe some more of you will join the party. If you read the email. What Asbury is teaching us is that momentum isn't attended or attached, sorry, to a stage, a star, or anything else. But it is to the hunger of people and the spirit of work in lives. This is why this old wine, new wine is really important. Guys, if you want to play church, go ahead. It gets boring after a while. 
The speaker speaks forever after a while. All you see is faults and dust and cobwebs in the room, top of those speakers and other places. But the Spirit's at work. I'm saying this in a humble way and in a prophetic way. The momentum of Asbury University and now other universities across the United States, which I think it's hilarious because I have a real problem with the United States. The momentum of that is in this room. Because all it is is hungry people who are saying yes to a new container and no to anything that hinders the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth or stands in his way. Synagogues, Torah, vineyard, whatever. Pharisees, Christians. Let's stand. Let's worship. You know, this here thing here I have in my hand. Very dangerous thing. The temptation for me to hype something up today and to start something in this room is very, very tempting. It's very, very attractive. But I won't do that. I've never done that. But I do want us to consider the question. What do you want to do? Come in new container, allow the wine of Jesus to come, to bring joy and life to people and places. Or do we want to be self-contained churches in Ireland that add them on, that invite them in? He becomes an appendix to the conversation, an add-on attachment. And the status quo continues. Because if we really want renewal, this is not hype. It's not really that hard. It's very left foot, right foot. It's about us being hungry. 18 students in a very old-fashioned university hall who decided, we're going back in there. We're going to worship. Two and a half weeks later, people are confessing their sins, being healed, being restored. Water is turned into wine. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information on what's happening in the life of our church, visit vineyarddungannon.co.uk.